following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. What happy couples know. <laughs> Boy, we've been talking, hadn't we? We've been fixing y'all. Uh, I give honor to Brad and I give honor to Reed. The last two Sundays have been absolutely incredible. Would you give it up for these two fine <laughs> ministers, our executive pastor and our, our young adult pastor. What a joy to have all of our pastors. We love Pastor Randy. We love Pastor Brandon. We love all of our pastors. Pastor Casey, there ain't nobody, nobody, ain't nobody can get it all done like Casey Arnold. Ain't nobody can do that. I mean, he does so much. He's just got his hands and everything. I think, I think if I got sick one day and nobody was here, Casey could preach. I believe he could do it, do a great job. What a joy. And, and, and Pastor uh, Blake, all these guys are just awesome. And Adasa and her family at the hospital today are our, our children's pastor, our children's minister. She's at the hospital. One of her little boys woke up and was having seizures this morning. And uh, so they're at Dale's children, and we're praying, and God's going to help, and God's going to heal, and God's going to bring that baby out. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? You're awesome people, and I love you. I want to get started here as quick as I can. A uh, man went to his pastor and said, Pastor, my, my marriage is not doing good. And the pastor said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, when we first got married, said the first year of our marriage, said when I'd come home, said my dog would run around barking, and my wife would bring me my slippers. But said, now, when I get home, said, the dog braids me slippers, and my wife's barking. And the pastor said, well, you're still getting the same service. <laughs> What's the problem? Sometimes, you know, folks, we live in houses and we learn, know how to fuss more than we learn, know how to agree. And so today I'm going to talk about attitudes. I'm going to talk about three great words that every happy couple knows. Three great words. And I think they're the three greatest words in all of marriage. So are you going to be with me today? All right, what happy couples know. Matthew chapter 13 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold what he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He bought it. Somebody say, trouble happens, but comfort will come. And laughter always lifts. Jesus said that. I didn't. He said that in Luke 6. Ruth Graham Bale, giving honor to Billy Graham today, said a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. I like that phrase. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. To all of our people watching via Facebook, we thank you for being here. Let's give our church at Tulsa a great hand today right now. Amen. Love them. They're doing wonderful. And you may be seated. God bless you is our prayer. My subject today is threefold. In fact, I believe I will speak about today, that what I will speak about today is the three greatest words in relationship or marriage. As I already said, Brad and Reed were just exquisite. This church is blessed to have great ministers, young ministers. I have performed, folks, over 600 weddings in 48 years of ministry. Now, I'm not old. I started when I was five. (laughs) 
I was privileged to do my first one with a, an old veteran pastor. He was an old Baptist pastor. He had gave me some fabulous insight when I first did my first wedding. Here were the words that he thought brought halts to marriages. He said, there's three things that I want to tell you that every, every marriage will kind of fight over, have a problem with. He said, the first one is in-laws. He said, you know the difference between in-laws and outlaws? And I said, no. He said, outlaws are wanted. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that right now. He said, money, money, the lack of it or the abundance of it. Because both parties see it differently. And then he said sex. Keeping intimacy. He said it'll be one of those three things. He said now it'll act like it's going another route. But it'll come back to that. Today's text speaks of two different men. A man finding a treasure in a field. And a pearl merchant finding a pearl of great value. When counseling I always start off this way. When I ever counsel you in my counseling sessions for marriage. This is what I always say. You will never find a Mona Lisa on sale in a 7-Eleven. Put a picture up of her. That gets attention. That's her. I'm not even looking at her, but she's not pretty. Her face haunts me. It bothers me. It's a face I don't want to see when I'm laying, laying down and got my eyes closed. It's not the face I want to see up close. It was painted by Leonardo da Vinci early in the 16th century. She now lives in the Louvre in Paris, France. She has her own room. 43 degree temperature in a glass enclosed case. And there's one thing about her. Five words. She is not for sale. She's not for sale. Never has been. Never will be. And she's not even pretty. Turn to your wife or your or significant other right now and say, you are prettier than Mona Lisa. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot of laughing. Must not be a lot of truth floating into that. <laughs> but she has a word attached to her called value. She is valuable. Because Leonardo da Vinci put LV in one of her eyes to let her know that she only had eyes for him. And he created value. If you went to try to buy her today, it'd probably be 20 to 25 million starting fee. But she's not for sale. See, to find a pearl of great value, one needs to be able to recognize value when you see it. The merchant found one pearl of great value. Pearls come in all different values. There are simulated pearls and there are manufactured pearls, but the best ones are very rare and precious. They're natural pearls. A genuine pearl can be costly. Cleopatra had two of them. They were $400,000 a piece in that day. A few years ago, the largest known existing diamond was found. It weighed a half of a pound and it valued at $11.7 million. It was found on a conveyor belt in West Africa and the gem was the size of a hen's egg and it was a frosted color, looked like a frosted glass and if someone had not recognized that it was a diamond instead of a chunk of glass, it may have been forever lost. See, the problem in our world today is that not only... We do not recognize true value, but that we have mixed up values in our world today. One time a prankster got into a hardware store and rearranged the price tags in the articles in the window. The next day the manager came and he was walking in the store. He learned that he was offering single nails for $10 a piece and a hammer for 10 cents. 
and he saw a, a hand saw that was priced at $150 while a power saw was used and listed at $15. We seem to have our values turned upside down. You see, we show what our values are by the price we are willing to pay. That's what determines value. When the man found the treasure in the field, he picked it up, he dug it up and hid it again and then went and bought the field. He wanted the treasure, so he bought the field. He wanted the treasure, so he bought the field. The greatest word in marriage, folks, is the word value. My question today is what price are you willing to pay for a great marriage, a great relationship in your life? The price one is willing to pay determines the value of what you're trying to purchase. Will you buy the whole field or do you just want the treasure? There's a picture that I'm going to show. It's a picture of an unplowed field. It's a vacant field. And it probably looks like what some of the fields looked like in Israel because there was a lot of rocks, a lot of trees, a lot of weeds, a lot of cliffs, a lot of unplowed areas. There's things you're going to have to deal with when you buy the whole field. There's things in marriage you're going to have to go ahead and deal with when you get into that marriage. She may be beautiful at the altar, but she has kinfolks. You may be handsome at that altar, but you have them too. I'll never forget when my wife met some of my kinfolks, I said, do you still love me? And then when I met one of her uncles, I said, honey, I'm going to tell you, I still love you, but I don't want to be trapped by him anymore. He messed me up. Because everybody has a field. But in marriage, the word value means that when I find the treasure, I'm going to purchase the field. When I find the pearl of great price, I'm going to sell everything I have and I'm going to buy in. One author said that society that doesn't believe in God sees no inherent value in human beings. He said we're no different from a rock or an old sock. And if there is no inherent inborn values as human beings, then we must create our own criteria to measure value. And we tend to value people either for their appearance or for their performance. And so if you're not good looking, smart, or athletic, or you earn a lot of money, then you're not valuable. If you don't fit that criteria, you're just taking up space. But here's Jesus' value system. Listen to him. He loved the outcast. He loved the poor. He loved the handicapped. He loved the unclean. And bless your heart, he loved the sinner. Jesus' love does not depend on what we do for him. In his eyes, you have value simply because you are. Would you clap your hands to that and rejoice? That's good stuff. Everybody say value. I want value in my marriage. The second word is a word I call love. Love is a verb. Love requires action. Love is something that you have to act on. He said you have love one to another. You must show your love one to another. Don't just sit here on the couch and say, honey, move. You're in the way of the football game. I love you. But love requires action. Love requires you doing something for love. First John 4 said, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everybody say it's from God. Everyone who loves is born of God. And knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God. For God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only begotten son into the world. So that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. 
and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Can you clap your hands for a God that will do that for you? I think this is kind of cute. I'm just going to throw it in here. I don't even know if it fits right now or not. But six ways ever to learn everything you ever need to know about the man before you decide to marry. Number one, watch him drive in heavy traffic. Number two, play tennis or golf with him. See if he throws his clubs or throws a racket. Three, listen to him talk to his mother when he doesn't know you're listening. Four, see how he treats those who serve him like waiters and maids. Five, notice what he's willing to spend his money on to buy. And six, look at his friends. And if you still can't make a decision after all that, look at his shoes. A man who keeps his shoes in good repair generally tends to the rest of his life also. Give a hand clap for somebody wearing good shoes today. Everybody say, God is love. We must love. Because God is love. He first loved us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called God is Love. And in that book, he divided the various human emotions we tend to lump together into this thing called love. One was need love. Everybody say need love. And the other was gift love. Say gift love. Need love was fundamentally self-centered and self-serving and meeting our own needs. And gift love, on the other hand, would follow the pattern of divine love that God manifested in the self-emptying of himself in the incarnation without giving regard for reciprocation. So we have need love and gift love. And many sermons have been preached on the distinction between superficial and self-centered need love and a more profound other-focused gift love, disparaging the first and exalting the second. But here's the problem Lewis discovered, and I want to preach it today, is that it is a false dichotomy. Needs are not necessarily superficial or selfish, and gifts are not necessarily altruistic. In Genesis, the creation story, after God created the first ever person, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for a human being to be alone. So he created another one. Human needs come built in. They're not deflects and they're not flaws. Everybody has blind spots in your life. Everybody has situations in their life that you need help in. That's why God made somebody else for you. That's why you need a help made in your life. That's why you need a husband in your life. Because everybody needs somebody to tell you if that dress looks good or if the clothes fit that you're wearing or if something is working in your life. You need help from somebody else. That's why marriage is such a great institution. Clap your hands and rejoice in that right now. Hallelujah. See, many times we need help from people that are not like us because opposite attracts. And sometimes we need people that think like us because we're like two peas in a pod. But all of our relationships, everybody that we have in life, we need those people in our life. People in your life are like said banks of a river. If you don't have boundaries in your life by people in your life, you'll become a swamp and you'll have no use and no need. But when you have people in your life that are adding to your life, and when you have a mate, a significant other, a husband, a wife, it is so important in marriage more than any other human relationship. Our human needs to give and to receive, to love and be loved, to be appreciated and be grateful are present constantly. And there are a few things worse, pop psychologists say, than for being in a marriage that becomes one-sided with one partner always giving and the other always receiving. That one constantly needs are met and the other constantly needs are ignored. It's not good, as the Bible said, for a person to be alone physically, emotionally, spiritually, or psychologically. So here's what I want to talk about. I don't know when I 
counsel people what, 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 when I marry them, what is unlovable about them. But I am happy that I don't know. But I'm sure that there's something in each of them that there is that can be only loved by the person that they are married to and marrying that will get them out. Because you see, only, only need love and only, only, only gift love is the only two I've talked about so far. But there's one more. It's what I call divine gift love. And that divine gift love is more than just need or gift love. It's love from heaven. There are some things that's going to happen in your marriage that you say, God, you're going to have to help us on this one. And when God comes down and steps into your living room, into your kitchen, and starts handling the situation for you, then you understand that a threefold cord is not easily broken. You know, I was reading this week, and a a two-strand braid cannot stand. But you add that third strand in that braid, and it'll hold tight. When you run into situations you can't handle by yourself, why don't you look up and say, God, need a little help down here, and let some divine gift love come into your life, and watch God work out the situation in your marriage. Amen. Amen. Patty's had to ask for God's help sometime dealing with me. I'm teasing She's in the office listening to me babysitting, but baby, I love you. Hallelujah. (laughs) Being in love is a universal experience. People living in a multitude of different countries all experience this thing called love. Some of the finest songs in the history of songdom are written about love. Hallelujah. Every now and then I'll sing one to Patty. She don't ever sing to me. But I can sing going down the road. I love even going back to get the old ones like makes me love everybody. Even you. Makes me love everybody. I'm teasing. She's listening. I better shut up and teach. But knowing that you are loved has a transforming feeling in your life. Love transforms. Love changes. Folks, can I tell you something? Can I just break some news to you? 28 years ago today, today, this day, February the 25th, 1990. A church on Westgate asked Patty and I to come and preach for them and try out for this church. 28 years ago today, on this day, on this Sunday. Woo, hallelujah. And I came and preached, and on Friday, the 2nd of March, which will be this Friday, the 2nd of March, because every every seven years the calendar repeats. On the second day of March, 1990, they said, we want you to be our pastor. And we packed up. Like the Beverly Hillbillies and moved to Beverly Hills. Amen. We moved to Austin, Texas. And here we are. And I want to tell you something. The church that I preach to, I love with everything that's in me. I'll give you gift love. I'll give you divine gift love. I'll give everything I can to you because I want you to know. I want you to leave here happy today. Come on. Let's leave here happy. I'm so happy to be pastor of a great church called Christian Life Church. And next Sunday... Next Sunday was our first Sunday to be pastor in this church. And next Sunday, I'm going to give the state of the church address. And oh, folks, I've got some things to say next Sunday. You need to be here next Sunday. It won't be about marriage. It'll be about Jesus and church. I read a story about a girl named Margaret. She was a, a college person that had a lot of sense, a lot of smart. But she wasn't real pretty. She kept to herself. She combed her hair funky and funny. Didn't wear good clothes, dowdy looking. But there were some boys in the class that had a committee meeting one day, five of them, that decided that they were going to try to bring her out of that situation because they looked real close to her and they said, that girl's got some looks. She's pretty. We just got to bring it out of her. And so 
they started doing stuff like between classes, ask her about assignments. One would sit by her on, with lunch, uh, at lunch on purpose. It was not easy as it sounds because Margaret was not accustomed to anyone talking to her on a regular basis. And at first, she didn't quite know what to say or how to say. But the boys kept up, and after three or four weeks, Margaret started to loosen up. And one afternoon, she asked one of the boys about an idea for a term paper. And the next step was an experiment for the boys to start dating Margaret, and they started dating her. So Bill asked her out to go to lunch one day after class, and Mark took her to a play on campus in a week or so. And after the boys' experiment had gone for a couple of months, an amazing thing happened. Margaret came one day to class looking better. Love started transforming her. It's amazing. You know a bride on her wedding day is the most beautiful she'll ever be until you've been married to her 36 years, and she's even prettier then. You know what I'm Love has a way of transforming us. Oh, let me talk to you folks. It has a way of transforming us. So a few changes were easy to notice, like the way she combed her hair. She had got it cut and dyed, and she started wearing some new clothes and new makeup. And when Larry found Margaret at the library one day, he asked her for a date to a bluegrass, see a bluegrass band. And she said, oh, that's really sweet, Larry, but Mark and I already have plans on Saturday. And he said, I was so repelled because now all of a sudden all of us wanted to date her. And she was too busy. What we had done was too good. And Larry said, I was looking forward to going out with her. And I bumbled around and came up with some kind of line about maybe some other time. But I tell you the truth, I was disappointed. And Larry said, to make matters worse, I've tried two more times to get dates with Margaret. And she's been busy both times. There's something to be said about being in love and love transforming or changing our lives. I want you to raise your hand today and say, Pastor, I want my wife to have some changes in her life. <laughs> I'm going to start loving her. Wives, raise your hand and say, Pastor, my husband loved me a little bit more. I'm going to make those changes. <laughs> it's kind of like that country boy that came to town one day and he walked into a hotel and didn't realize what he was looking at. A door opened and a, an old woman walked in that elevator. And a little while that door opened again and a beautiful woman walked out. And the daddy looked at his son and said, son, go get your mama right now. He said, why, daddy? He said, I don't know what that thing is. But your mama needs to get in that thing and have a ride. Let me tell you something. Married love, to me, looks like intention. Married love is not feelings. It's intention. Everybody say Intention. It's decision. You know, spontaneous love that you feel at the time you marry has a lot to do with physical attraction, sexual passion. It may lose some of its zest. But our feelings may become numb, even confused, and our concept of marriage may become vague and even disturbed. But when in doubt, if I'm in love, I always say this. It's not a matter of being in love. It's a matter of deciding to love. I hate the bumper sticker that says, if it feels good, do it. That's not a pledge in marriage. We pledge for better or for worse, say it, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. We bring those fluctuations of feelings into a safe harbor of a love decision. Will you marry this man? Will you marry this woman is the first question in marriage. That, my friend, is a decision. It's not a feeling. You have found the pearl. You have found the treasure. Now go sell out and buy the pearl and go buy the whole field because marriage is value and it is love. 
Boy, I'm preaching right now. You need to clap a little higher than that because I'm preaching right now. It's love. Number two, married love looks like commitment to me. Not just intention, but commitment to me. Decisions get marriage toward, running toward life and commitment provides the necessary power for getting there. The commitment of marriage is not to the institution of marriage, folks. Listen to me. You got to hear this, but it's a commitment to our mate in marriage. Institutions are not sacred. Persons are. We're created by God Almighty. We are sacred entities. Even marriage made in heaven requires some earthly work. But see what happens. Here's a good lesson. First, we try to make our marriage flawless. And you, you just can't do it because there's no perfect people. And then when that fails, we pretend that it is flawless. And that's a terrible price. Number one, it's time to quit trying to make your marriage flawless. And number two, it's time to quit pretending that it is flawless. Everybody needs help. My wife and I need help. Oh, we don't scream and holler at one another, but we need help in our marriage from time to time. And sometimes we need that divine gift love. We need more than just need help. And we need love. And we need more than just gift love. We need God's love to help us. And God can come and help us. But here's what I want to tell you about when I married my wife. I realize when I look at Patty, my sweet pea, I do not see her as an extension of myself. Stay with me now. You're going to get this. I do not say to myself, I am a minister and she's a minister's wife. Ministry is what I do. A man is who I am. She is my wife and I am her husband. I do not relate to her role to role. I relate to her as person to person. And it does not matter if you have a job up here or a job down here. Everybody in God's kingdom counts. Oh my Lord, I'm talking right now. And you... Or a person that's married to a person. And if you do good, glory. If you don't do good, do better. Because everybody needs to understand it's not role to role. It's person to person. Jesus loves everybody. And he wants every marriage to work in this community right now. It's about people to people. Ephesians chapter 5 says, husbands love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with the word. Water through the word. Let me just say something here. Has anybody ever washed their wife's feet? Just a thought. Anybody ever drawn bath for her instead of her drawing a bath for you? Oh, I better move on. I'm hitting the wall there. <laughs> God, I'm doing good right now. Preach, son, preach. <laughs> and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy, blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Bluebell. They say their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. and The two will become one flesh. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. 
Verse 33, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The third greatest word in marriage is the word respect. Everybody say value. Everybody say love. Everybody say respect. And let me talk a little bit about this. Paul declares love outlasts everything. First Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 13, he said faith and hope and charity abides, but the greatest of these is charity. He said love is promises made and promises kept. It's darkness waded through until the light comes on. Love is hope in action. It's faith in overalls. It's sentiment that becomes substance. It's romance that becomes responsibility. It's loyalty to the cause of those we love. It's commitment for them. It's, 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 it's commitment to be for them all we can be and to do for them all we can do with God's help. Love is fidelity after a long haul. It's picking up the pieces and starting over again. It's forgiving yesterday's disappointments and embracing today with acceptance and new anticipation. It's going the first and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth mile. Love is awesome. I think it's very important. I think it's very important that we as families keep our romance alive. Let me just talk to you a little bit. Do you know that when you were dating her, you got your best brute cologne? I used to wear it. I thought it was sexy. It's not. But my Lord, they, they, they advertise Old Spice now on the TV. Old Spice, my God. And yeah, when that guy sprayed that axe on him, I went and got me some. It didn't give me, it didn't give me six pack. My wife didn't come in there and say, oh, baby. I went and bought a book one time called 100 Ways to Love Your Wife, and none of it was about sexual stuff. It was just how to love your wife because I wanted to learn how to love my wife and how to be a better husband to my wife. I think it's important that couples romance in this thing. In the Cretan world, they don't call making love a sexual situation. They call making love how couples learn to get along with each other. They may argue, they may fuss a little bit, but they're just all in the process of learning how to get along. Listen, folks, there's more to just making love than just making love. There's making love that says, hey, we're going to do everything we can to be the greatest couple we can on the world. I tell people all the time, you're 23 chromosomes and you're 23 chromosomes and put them together, you're the most unique 46 I've ever married. Now go out and live like you love one another and care. Don't go after you say I do and then start saying I don't. Don't start leaving her and doing things without her. Keep loving her. And when you love her, she'll turn around and respect you. When you work, she'll turn around and respect you. And when a wife respects you, oh, get ready, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Glory's coming to your house. I promise you, glory's coming to your house. It's kind of, it's kind of like some people need to take a chance on romance. My wife and I go to Sonic every now and then on Tuesday because you can get two for the price of one at Sonic on Tuesday. <laughs> Yesterday I was studying. I said, baby, I'm getting a ward on my brain. I got to get up and get out of here. And I took her to lunch yesterday. You know what? We went to Papa Do's. We, we got, some, we got some, some coupons from you folks. We got some gift cards from you folks, and we ate on you yesterday. <laughs> but we got together. She went in the ball cap, and I went, I went in the ball cap because we wasn't dressed, and my hair was not fixed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we went to Papa Do's, and we sat in a corner booth, and we made love. We talked and we expressed and we romanced. 
And when we got up to leave, she put her arm in my, in my side and said, Ooh, I like being married to you. I said, Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't be like that old boy that decided to show his wife how much he loved her. Before going home, he showered, shaved, put on some choice cologne, and bought her a bouquet of flowers, and he went to the front door and knocked. His wife answered the door and exclaimed, oh, no, it's been a terrible day. First, I had to take Billy to the emergency room and then get stitched in his leg, and then your mother called, and she's coming for two weeks. (laughs) Then the washing machine broke, and now this, you've come home drunk. Don't be a once-in-a-three-year romance man. Some of you have better friends in your bromance than you have in your romance. I didn't need to say that, but it's out. Genuine commitment to love and respect one another till death do us part. A woman who was a Colorado elementary school teacher received an unexpected wedding gift from her, her kids, third grade class. They wrote an illustrated booklet of wise words in, t- in the love title, Advice for a Happy Marriage, third graders, which has been released by a major publisher. And one youngster advised in the booklet, you need to kiss every once in a while. And another said, my advice, if there's two cupcakes and the man takes the one with not as much frosting, he really loves you. I think that's kind of true, don't you? Oh, I'm doing good, ain't I? I'm talking to you. Some of us can remember mothers who always put themselves last in line. If there were cupcakes with less frosting, they would make certain they, they got it, that dad got the one with the most. So why don't we turn that around? Why don't we reverse that? Why don't we become men that love our wives so that our wives can turn around and respect us and say, I have got the greatest man that a person could ever have in their life we could do that we could make that happen the human development and family department university of nebraska decided to study strong families and determine what was the common strength and one of the key strengths they found in almost every solid family was a high degree of a relationship with god with god because they determined when you take god seriously you'll take your marriage seriously I'd like for a bunch of guys this today to recommit yourself to taking God seriously in your life. I'd like for a great group of ladies in this church to take your marriage so seriously that you'll take God seriously so your marriage will be serious in your life. It's important because God is that third cord that does not make marriage easily broken. A couple came to a pastor one day en route to the lawyer's office and they were going to get a divorce and they were very angry when they walked in his office. Tension was electric. The husband sat on one side, the wife on the other. And they hurled accusations at one another. And the pastor said, we got to stop this. He said, why can't you start over? Go back to the point where you first met and fell in love and start all over. And the man said, but I don't love her anymore, pastor. I don't love her. Pastor said, do you respect the Bible? He said, I do. Well, he said, the Bible says love your wife. (laughs) And the man said, yeah, but she's not living with me like a wife. We're more like neighbors. She lives in another room. And the pastor said, well, I got you there, too. The Bible said, love your neighbor. (laughs) The young man said, she's not a neighbor. We relate like enemies. He said, I've got great news for you. (laughs) Love your enemies.
pastor said, why don't we just suspend this? Because they said, you know, we feel like we're be, be in hypocrisy and hypocrites if we, if we started acting like we was all of a sudden in love. He said, why don't you go home and work on your marriage? He said, would you promise to call her from work every day and just see how she's doing? And would you promise to have a nice meal for her and prepared and speak kind words to each other? Try to show some physical affection on occasion, hug, touch, hands. Let's see what happens in a week. And the following week, he was surprised. They showed up in one week back to his office. And the wife said, wow, he's been nicer to me this last week since our first time we were married 10 years ago. And the husband said, well, I guess you really can love your enemy. <laughs> I don't care if it's enemy. I don't care if it's a neighbor. I don't care if it's a wife. We all need to love one another. This church is built on the foundation of the love of God and the grace of God. And we don't need our marriages going bunk and crazy from that precept and prospect. We need families to love each other. Because your home and my home make up this church. And our homes are a little bit of heaven. Why don't we have heaven and earth on earth in our homes so we can have heaven and earth in our church? Why don't we do that right now? Let's clap our hands and rejoice in that. And I've got to close. I've got to close. See, we live in a day, we live in a day that everything's challenged. Good is bad and bad is good. You know that, the value system. People don't know what real love is. This shooting down in Florida, it's become a nightmare. And if God doesn't help us and if we don't find some direction, it's not going to end. And so people don't understand this thing called love. They don't get it. They don't get it. And so that's why Christians like us need to spread what we have. We need to be infectious people. We need to be people that are catchy. People catch what we have. We need something rolling out of us. See, today people say a marriage license is nothing but a scrap of paper. But wait a minute. Scraps of paper are important. It's not the marks. Of, is it not one of the marks of civilized men? They protect themselves against their savagery by scraps of paper. Sure, a wedding license is a scrap of paper, but so is an employment contract. So is your paycheck. So is a $20 bill. So is a deed to your home. And so is the Constitution of the United States. But I promise you, our marriage is more than a contract. It is a covenant. It is a covenant. And we must love one another. A family circle surveyed 35,000 women. Talking about the time crunch of work and family. How hard it was on marriage. 50% of the women say there are never enough hours in the day. And another 33% say there's only sometimes enough hours. And when asked what they have to put on the back burner to squeeze everything in. 51% say I have to put my friends on the back burner. 25% said, I have to put my husband's on the back burner. 75% said, it has a negative effect with times of intimacy with, our, with my spouse. Listen, there's some things you just can't put on the back burner. Don't let the urgent take the place of the important. Your relationship with one another is the second most important thing in this world. God's first, this is second, and others are third. Understand, 
that we need a commitment to love and respect. One man was telling why he never got married. His name was Robert Schumann. He was a French diplomat. He said he was on a train on a subway years ago and he inadvertently stepped on the dainty foot of a pretty woman. And before he could turn to apologize, she barked and said, you clumsy idiot. Why can't you watch where you're going? He said, I never wanted to be married to somebody that thought I might be a clumsy idiot. Nobody, nobody needs to fall in that category. We need to be kinder with our words, more gentler with our, our actions, and more totally prepared to be husbands and wives to one another, and special acquaintances to one another. This is what the kingdom is all about. He loved us, so we love others as he loved us. University of Denver did a research and said the only difference between successful marriages and unsuccessful marriages is five out of a hundred comments are negative with successful marriages. Ten out of a hundred comments are negative with unsuccessful marriages. Just cut your negative comments down five and watch God turn your marriage around. Everybody's going to have trouble. Everybody's going to have issues, but it don't have to be the end of it. I'm talking to you from my heart today. I love you. On their golden anniversary, a grandmother revealed the secret of her long and happy marriage. She said, on my wedding day, I decided to choose 10 of my husband's faults, which for the sake of marriage, I would overlook. And a guest asked her to name some of the faults. She said, to tell you the truth, I never did get around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I would say to myself, lucky for him, that's not one of the, I mean, that's one of the 10. That's cute, isn't it? That goes on the list. I close today. I think it's important. A surgeon was working in a hospital years ago. And he had to go into the jaw of a beautiful woman and cut out a cancer. But to cut that cancer out, he had to clip the nerve that kept that jaw right. And when she came out of surgery, she had a Bell's palsy look. She had a drawn face to one side. When he came back to the room, he looked at her. To him, it was not a pretty sight. But to her husband on the other side of the bed, he was smiling and crying. Saying, I'm so glad you got the cancer, Doc. And the wife looked up at him and he said, she said, will I always look like this or will I heal? He said, honey, I'm sorry. You'll probably always look that way. I did the best I could, but I couldn't get it out without doing that. I'm so sorry. And the husband said, that's okay, doctor. Came over to the bed. The doctor said, I saw him going down and trying to turn his lips in a way that would fit the lips of the woman that he still loved. I think, I think that woman, when she got well, respected that man, don't you? I think a man that shows his wife love will get respect back because that's what it's all about. Patty, I love you. You don't have to cook for me today, but it'd be nice if you did. Put her picture up again. Put her picture up again. Show them again. Mona Lisa. She's not even pretty, but she's not for sale. Look at your wife and say, you are pretty. And you're not for sale. Look at your significant other and say, you are pretty and you're not for sale. Come on, let's, let's live. 
lives of happiness and joy and contentment. Let's be intentional. Let's be. Committed. Stand to your feet, you're awesome people. Lord Jesus. Next Sunday, State of the Church Address. I can't wait. God's given me a message to preach to this church next Sunday already. Wednesday night, we're starting a brand new series. You're going to be excited about it. Pastor will be here. I'm glad to be back in the pulpit. Join hands with somebody or if you've got germaphobe problems. Grab a wrist. Father, I love you today. And I thank you for favor. Thank you for your love, your kindness, your goodness to us. Thank you for the care that you give to us. Thank you for the hope that you share with us. Now there abideth faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Thank you for love. Thank you for love. Thank you for letting me love my wife. Thank you for teaching me how to love my wife. Thank you for teaching me how to care for her. Thank you for always putting her needs first. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for caring for this church. Lord, we're your bride. We see how much you love us. Ah, land, you love us, Lord. You love us so much. What a great God you are. Thank you for this time. And I know, Lord, that we hadn't had a lot of altar calls in this time, but we've just been trying to fix and help families. And we're not trying to make it emotional, but I feel very emotional right now, God, because you have been so good to me. When I was hurting, you sent Patty my way. And Patty has healed me, and I'm healed today by the grace of God. And by sweet Patty, bless these marriages, bless our husbands, and bless wives, and bless relationships, God. And God, let all these people that are in relationship know that I'm here to marry them anytime they get ready. Because I want to see them go forward in the kingdom of God. I bless you. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You're awesome people. I love you.